Thank you for joining the Relief from Grief podcast by Mrs. Miriam Ribiat and Hevra Lomde Mishnah. Our goal is to help you find the chizik you may need and the comfort of knowing that you are not alone. To sponsor an episode, visit hevralomdemishnah.org forward slash podcast and bring comfort to listeners like you. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me here today on the <clears throat> Relief from Grief podcast. Um, today's episode is sponsored by Eli Nishmas Shmuel Yaakov Ben Yosef, and we do offer sponsorship opportunities. If anyone is interested, you can go to the website, chavalomdemishnah.org, or you can email me directly, mribia at chavalomdemishnah.org. So today we have with us Mrs. Shani Stefanski-Waldman, who's the co-founder of Samchenu. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you for everything that you do and for inviting me. I really appreciate that you came on. I know you're very busy, so I'm glad that we had this opportunity. So I guess let's start off with, if you could tell us kind of what it is and how it got started. Samchenu is a support network for from women across the country. We got started because I lost my husband. Uh, I was 37 years old. My mother introduced me to a few of her friends who were widowed, and none of them had anything very positive to say to me. Obviously not intentionally, but one said, oh, you'll never see your husband in a dream, so don't expect to. And another one said, don't even think of getting remarried. And they were not messages that, you know, it doesn't mean that th- those were my first priorities at that point, you know, to get remarried or to see my husband in a dream, but they were not positive messages and they weren't young people at my stage. I truly felt like I was living on my own planet. My baby was at the time 16 months old. I had a almost three-year-old. I had a second grader. I would go stand at the bus stop or sit on my porch and ladies were standing in front of my porch at their bus stops. And I think they just all looked at me like, you know, I was another person like them and I bought groceries like them and I bought the kids sneakers like they did and I had to cook supper like they did, except they didn't have a husband. They didn't know anything about me or about who I was. And that sense of isolation, there was not one moment of my day or one cell in my body that had anything similar to them. So I just felt so not understood and so isolated. And I really searched for connection and for people who would understand me. Brindy and I were met because Sarah Feige Wurzberger in Williamsburg would make these get-togethers in her house for widows. And she invited me to come on a couple of occasions, a couple of years after my husband passed away. And at one point, she asked me to pick up in Bar Park and bring a new almana, Brian D. Halberstam. Her husband was probably enough to about six months after mine, and she also had children at home, and to bring her along to the event in Williamsburg. After the event, Brian D. said to me, you know, maybe we could do something like this. And that's really how Samkhenu started. She called everyone who she knew, and I called whoever I knew. Bela Miller called whoever she knew, and we got together a group of ladies in in a house around the dining room table. We had a plan. I'm not going to tell you who, but a well-known speaker was supposed to come, and he called while we were there and said he can't make it, so I spoke instead. Oh, my. So that, it just sort of became the model for what we were going to do, where we went around the room and everybody spoke, and over the years, our greatest chizuk, you know, we have had speakers. Our greatest chizuk often comes from within. And after that meeting, people called and said, next time, call me. 
but we went home feeling like something really great had happened. And Brian D called me that night and said, when are we doing the next one? And it went from there. And every month, more and more people called and said, oh, next time, call us. I have to say that we never sat down and planned to start an organization. It was not like, oh, here's a great idea. Let's start a network for widows. Let's offer services to widows. Let's offer understanding and support to widows. That never happened. It was just, we got together. People came. People said, call me, call me, call me. I learned how to keep the data on Excel very quickly. We're up to 2,700 names on Excel. We never advertised. Everything is by word of mouth. People find us online. People hear about us from each other. I'll tell you in a second in terms of how that's a, a very big problem, but it's quite intentional that I'm not advertised in magazines and I'm not doing crowdfunding. I don't intend to make very, very dear friends and, and the women I care about so much into fundraisers for themselves. So we don't do that. We're not on everybody's WhatsApp. At first, I had been very inspired by Robertson Rottenberg in Eretz Yisrael. I read an article in the Hamodia about her organization, Zelazet, and how what she does for the widows and how the ladies get together and they go on trips and they dance. And to me, that's like exactly what I was thinking of, just something much more upbeat. And when I went to Eretz Yisrael one year for my husband, the art site, I met with her and I said, we need this in America. And she said, so do it, which is not what I was expecting her to say. She paired me up with someone who she said would do fundraising for us. And I met with him in America and he sent me a picture of a Yasin with a tear rolling down the face. And I called her and I said, no. And she said, I don't blame you. I don't like it either. I went with him to Ramatis Yehoz, Solomon's Ozayin And Ramatis Yehoz said to me, I wouldn't say this except I'm quoting his words. He said, if you want, you can be a business like everybody else, or you can go on your own and you'll be Matsuyah. And that's what happened. So we did not go with our fundraiser. We never wanted to or believe that intend to project an image of our women as nebuchs. And we don't intend to raise money like that. Therefore, our fundraising is done privately, as privately as we can. And we try as much as we can to keep it out of the eyes of our members, because it's really secondary to their need. And and they deserve to be seen as the superwoman that they are. They take they under the most trying and difficult and crushing circumstances, rebuild, they move forward, they raise their families, they keep on keeping the mitzvahs and Shabbos is hard and Yontif is hard and every medical situation is hard. And any situation in life, whether it's something that's hard, which becomes harder because you're alone, or something that's nice, which is hard because you're alone, whichever way it is, they're moving forward and they're They just blossom and do so wonderfully. They deserve that dignity and that respect and not the opposite, which is why we really try to keep the fundraising private and and, and everything is by word of mouth and we don't have ads in the newspapers. But anybody who has a relative who is a widow has heard of us. They, they, They find their way to us. We recently upgraded our system so that we're not in Excel anymore, which was complicated to learn, but we're constantly trying to innovate and do the best we can to help. You're saying members. you reach out to the to Dalmana's relatives and stuff. They reach out to us is really what I'm saying. We get phone calls every day of the week saying, really? can you please add this person to our list, whether it's a neighbor or it's a relative or it's a friend. As soon as there is somebody who loses a spouse, people start asking around, what can we do for this person? And all roads lead to us. All roads lead to Samcheno. They They find out very quickly, yes, there is a from organization for widows. And and they hear from people who have been members and who have been here about 
how much it has helped them. And you reach out to the widows? So the way it works is somebody leaves a message. And in general, this is the way it works. Somebody will leave a message on our line saying, please add this person to your list. There are so many calls coming in and we get we also get emails to our website you know, that they'd like to join that we feel that the best way to do it is to make sure that this person really wants to hear from us. Occasionally, I've had some you know, rough interactions where people really felt that we were being invasive by reaching out too soon. So the fact that somebody you know, expresses interest doesn't mean they're ready yet. So the first thing we do is we send them a welcome package. In the welcome package is an application. Somebody just asked me, does anybody get rejected? No, people don't get rejected, except I do say, like when people reach me through a website, I do say, and my first response is, Samchenu is a support group for from Orthodox Chomer Shabbos women. And I do occasionally get a response, oh no, I'm reform, I'm conservative. And I always tell them, well, I'd love to be in touch, but in order to come to our events, they have to dress bitsneas. I don't check what they're doing in the grocery store, but yes, out of respect to our members, they have to dress bitsneas. This is a specifically from group. And so what happens again is that we'll send them out a package. It has a CD of inspirational songs that I composed and sang together with my daughters. It has a list of resources that are offered. It has a letter from Brian D and I expressing empathy and validation with our phone numbers on it. And it has an application to join some kind where we ask for more information, such as the birth date. We have different events for different age groups. The yard site, we try to reach out to them and call them on their birthdays and the, their husband's yard sites. It uh-huh. asks for the children's ages We have and birth dates. We have different programs and services for the children. And then once I get back that application, that's when I or one of my volunteers picks up the phone and calls the person and says, you know, welcome to San We don't we don't reach out before we see that they have that interest that they sent it back. Wow. It sounds so weird to say welcome to Samchenu, no? <laughs> I can't say we actually say those words, but we call it that. We call it the welcome packet, the welcome phone call. In other words, you know, my ladies who are very sensitive, who are widows themselves, I haven't added that right now all of our volunteers are some Chenu members, will call and say, we got your application. You know, we'd like to be able to help you in any way we can. But yes, we say it's the group that people are dying to join. <laughs> <laughs> and what made you think of the name Sam Chenu? It took a year, Marianne. We, we asked our, yes, we started the organization and we did not have a name. We asked our members for suggestions. You know, people were, what should I say? Canvassing, trying to figure something out. And then my friend, Connie Hershkowitz, who Baruch Hashem is married now as well. Her name is Connie Greenfield, met somebody and she was talking about it. She's done a lot to help us. She did a lot to help us start it. She's done a lot to help us with fundraising and a lot of programs that she runs and people that she reaches out to, orders the birthday flowers, shout out. Connie, she has a personal relationship with many of our members. So Connie had met someone back then who knew she was involved. And he said, what's it called? And she said, we're still looking for a name. And he said, oh, come on, it's easy. And as soon as she said it, it was like, come on, how come no one thought of that? The <laughs> says, which means glad in us, like the days that you afflicted us. And the explanation of that is that one day we will... Hashem will give us so much joy that we will completely forget the days that we suffered. So, and of course, throughout the avenue, we say, Samchenu biyom hashabbat hazeh, Samchenu biyom chagha sukkah hazeh, like Samchenu, to, to bring us up, to gladden us, to make us happy. And right now, Samchenu has a new tagline, which is bringing joy back to life. That's wow. our mission. That's so nice. We can't bring their husbands back to life. That's the one thing we'd like to do that we can't do. But any other thing that we can do for these women 
That's our goal, bringing joy back to life. We really have a dual mission. Our mission is to pamper them, to nourish them, to give to them. I hated the word caregiver when my husband, Allah Shalom, was sick. Because it just meant that you give and give and give and give and give. And you can't stop being a human being. You can't choose to be a malach. A person cannot permanently or for an extended period of time extend all their needs. You still need to breathe. You still need to eat. You still need to sleep. And the truth is you still just need to be human. So widow becomes a caregiver to so many people. We want to take care of her. We want to remind her that she deserves to be taken care of. We send them gifts for Yontif. We make beautiful Hanukkah parties. We send vouchers to the children for new shoes or new clothing for Yontif so that besides for the mother using whatever money she has for groceries, we make sure that the children get something new. One little girl said to the man in the shoe store, you're the nicest shoe man because this is my first pair of new shoes. Until then, she had hand-me-downs. Wow. We, we have wonderful organizations and people sending in certain locales, you know, lavish gifts before Yontif. We have a beautiful Shabbos, one for women under 70 and one for women over 70. We hire excellent caterers and do it in beautiful hotels. We have retreats during the year where the women go to a hotel for two days and we wine and dine them. We take them to the mall. We'll take them out to eat. And all, all this, this is done free of charge? So we send them, fl- we send flowers on their birthdays to the ladies who have come to Tusha Basim once they're, we consider them members. The flowers are free of charge. The, the gifts that we send are free of charge, obviously. The events, we charge something, but it's, let's say if you're going to a Shabbos this weekend, I don't know how much is the, what's it called? Kesher Nafshi Shabbos, the Aguda Convention, the Tova Soro Convention. Throw out a number to me, Miriam. You have any idea how much it is per person? I was going to say, okay, I was going to say per couple, but okay. So per person, six, 700. Okay. We're charging 225. That's for a Shabbos, for an evening, for a, a two day, one night retreat, we're charging 125. So you guess if that even covers the hotel room, never mind whatever transportation we provide and all the catering and all the dining out, and we're giving them a gift card to go to the mall. So it, they pay something, but it's a fraction of our cost. And the truth is, like I said, I, I we, we are raising right now about 1.5 million a year for all of our different programs. And it's all under the table. It's all under the table because I don't want to be on people's WhatsApps. I don't want to be in the public eye that our women should feel demeaned by that in any way. You, you must feel so close to Hashem because you have to have like such constancy at the Dishmaya to pull this off, no? Well, thank you for reminding me. We all need reminders on a daily basis. And definitely when I remind myself, because I do end up under a lot of pressure, I guess the reason I'm you might not call it defensive, but the reason I keep explaining why I don't do crowdfunding is because a lot of people, including you know people that I look up to, have pushed me very hard on that, why I'm not doing that. But I really feel like Rabbi Tzio's bracha and encouragement is carrying us. And so far, this has worked. And as long as it continues to work, it will. And perhaps one day when I resign, somebody else will take over and do crowdfunding and create a different type of organization. I had said that the first part of the mission was to pamper the women. The second part is to connect them to each other. Doctor, Samhainu became a community. It's a real community. When somebody loses their husband, they just are so cut off that he was their connection. Somebody, one of the young widows just spoke on our Zoom conference the other day, and she said, like, her husband was her best friend. Her husband was her rabbi when she had to ask a shayla. He was her business partner. He helped her run the house. Whatever, he was those people. And now with him gone, there's so many roles 
that are not filled and she feels so disconnected. There's a real, real, real disconnect and isolation. So Dr. Blumenthal once said to us that the hardest part of any tsara is that feeling like I'm the only person who ever went through this. It's like you're making tracks in fresh snow. Nobody has ever lived through that before. And the truth is, actually, I just heard in a, sh a beautiful share from Chevy Garfinkel before Hanukkah that anything that we're going through, there is somebody in history who's gone through that before. And so she was talking specifically about the Torah and about Yosef, but you put that together with that, what Dr. Blumenthal says, the most isolating thing in the world was standing there at the bus stop with these other ladies who had not an inkling of my inner world. And the most comforting thing for me for all those years was being in a room of some Chenu ladies where without saying a word, everybody understood so much about you. Without being patronizing, without looking at me like I was a neba, without looking down at each other, but just this like deep, deep understanding of what planet you live on, of what world you're living on. And these women become the closest of friends. When we have an event, it's like a camp reunion. I have to say that at the same time, they are very, very welcoming to new women. It's not a clicky group or a snobbish group in any way. People come in and everybody will want to know, who are you? Come sit with us. What's your story? And they're all very, very inclusive and encouraging of others. And that becomes a really a bomb to the neshama is just that feeling of, you know, everywhere else, I'm an outsider. Other people look at me, they look at me, but here I belong and people really understand and they give each other the most amazing chizuk. And obviously the connections go way beyond however often some kind has a Zoom or an event or a overnight trip, a retreat, a Shabbos. It goes so beyond that these women become the best of friends. They have WhatsApp, ch WhatsApp chats throughout the night. Whatever, anytime somebody's lonely, they can reach out and there's a group of some kind of ladies there for them. They go on vacations together. They go out to eat together. I see on the chat, we're going to this place in Muncie this night and to this place in Brooklyn this night, whoever wants to join. So those aren't sponsored events, but those are, they invite each other for Shabbos. They make groups with each other and, and go out with each other. And for Shavuos or for Pesach, if they don't have a, a situation, some of them will go together to a hotel. So it literally becomes a community, a, a fraternity, so to speak. Wow. It's really, really, really special. Are you connected to all like 20, what do you say? 2,400 names? 2,700. I don't know everybody personally. I have in front of me actually a birthday list, which my secretary puts together to me, for me at the beginning of every week with everybody's birthday and <clears throat> yard site in the coming week. There are times when I'm more on top of it than others, specifically when I'm in the car is the best time for me to make all those calls. But uh, the more I stay grounded and <laughs> local and try to just do what I need to do the less time I have to spend on the phone. So I, when I do that, when I make the calls for the birthdays and, and, and for the yard sites, it's really a great opportunity to connect individually to them. I really do think that I know most of our younger members um, by name and by face. Solomon, I have to add, when we started, that was also part of his guidance. You know, somebody called today to ask if we have services for the homebound. Somebody asked if somebody was very upset that she couldn't bring an aid to the Hanukkah party. Samchenu is not a senior citizens group. Samchenu is a widow's support network. Rabbi Matasyahu Solomon gave us a very clear directive, which is that the younger women are the greatest tragedy. Right. And therefore, when people are asking us now, for example, they want, we're having a Shabbos for the women over 70 in February and another one in June for the women under 70. And there's always somebody who says, why can't we switch? The reason we can't switch, I have to say, is not a mistake. It's very intentional. June is the time when it is perhaps easier for people to come. And that's really our, our main 
focus is the younger widows. I can't say we do less for the older widows. We do things for everybody. But a young widow, I don't have to, I don't think we have to negotiate that. It's the greatest tragedy and therefore really is our first focus. So why is and your- at, at the same time, Ramat Yahu said that we shouldn't exclude other people. So we could put more energy and effort into the younger people, but we include everybody. And therefore, yes, we have women of all ages, but we will not allow somebody to bring an aid because that's you know not very enjoyable for the other 10 people who are sitting at the table to right. be sitting there with an Anjou. And uh, no, we don't have homebound services. You know, there are many senior citizens things in the community, but that's not our mission or our goal. Wow. I have so much to say. Okay. So let's go to the cutoff age of 70. I mean, someone that's, you know, 68, a widow that's 68 and a widow that's 30, like, do they really belong together? Like the 30 year old could probably feel resentful toward the 68 year old. No. So you're asking a loaded question. I'll answer you. You're talking specifically about the Shabbos. That's not some Chenu Jr. So there are different age cutoffs for different events. We used to have one Shabbos with everybody together. I do actually believe that just like in the general population, people should work on being tolerant of others. The same works <laughs> among some Chenu. And that it's okay for younger and older widows to be cognizant of the fact that both of them are suffering. I think that's why Brandy and I have been able to do all of this all through the years with all of the effort that it takes is because I think both of us recognize and have fought off a lot of pressure from our friends to limit the age of Samchenu, but both of us recognize that a loss of any age is a real loss. And there's no statute of limitations on loss and on grieving. So a woman who is 85, who lived her whole life with her husband and is now completely alone is, is devastated. Right. And when she comes to a Samchenu Shabbos and is surrounded by other happy faces and all the aspiring speeches and sitting at a table and the animation, she comes back to life. Right. So there's no reason that it, in my mind, I'm, like I'm saying, there's going to be a lot of people who will debate with me about this, but there's no reason that it's impossible to for a younger woman to understand that person's pain. At the same time, no competition is necessary. Rabbi Yehu said it very clearly, and it's obvious that the greater tragedy is the younger woman. Really, my goal has been that the younger woman should feel that they have a place in Samchenu, that they shouldn't feel that Samchenu is primarily a senior citizens group and that they should feel that there are that they have peers, that there are others like them. Um, so like I said, we originally had the Shabbos for all ages. Eventually it didn't work anymore. Once we got up to five hundred and fifty people, it was just too large. So then we split it. First we did over 75 was the older Shabbos. And then we said, okay, that was too old. So we made it over 70, but that's just for the Shabbos. And I still think that although you're correct, we still do the seating specifically um, by age group. In other words, the women who still have children at home are seated at tables with their peers. There is a specific workshop on Chinuch for children at home, which is geared to their age group. And obviously their roommates will be with each other. So I think it's okay for them to be at a Shabbos together with 68-year-olds. The truth is that we could use a group for 50 to 70, but right. Brandy and I are maxed out. And many people have suggested it to us. And we said, go ahead. And nobody did. (laughs) I got this great line (laughs) from Rabbi Bender at one of the roundtables where he said, like, parents come in and give him, like, lectures about what he should be doing different. And he says, that's a great idea. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) So I can tell you it's a great (laughs) idea. But I can't tell you that I'm doing something about it because we're not doing a third Shabbos and we're not doing a third trip. When it comes to the actual breakfasts, dinners, events, get-togethers, we do have a separate group called Samchenu Junior, 
which is people who have kids at home. But that also got sticky because at first people said, yes, I have a daughter at home. She's 32. And that wasn't really what we had in mind. Again, the goal being that when there is a widow who is, unfortunately, in her 20s, in her 30s, in her 40s, I was 37 when I lost my husband. My oldest child was 16 and my baby was 16 months. I needed peers. I didn't need my mother's friends. I needed peers. So I want that woman to walk into the room and feel like she found somebody who lives on her planet, but not her mother and not her grandmother. So people get very sensitive and very upset about this. And I had somebody really angry at me at the last retreat we made for some kind of junior, which was after Sukkot, because she's 64 and she has a child in school. That could be. And honestly, we do have people in some kind of junior who are who are that. But we have parameters in order to join some kind of junior that at the time of the loss, the woman is below a certain age and her children are below a certain age. And after that, she stays in some kind of junior until the children get married. So whenever my cutoff would be, if I would tell you that some kind of junior is up to age 50, then at 51, if someone would be very insulted, then they would say 51 isn't old. I still right. have kids in school. Why am I not included? I feel very bad. Hashem should forgive me. And for anyone who's listening, I hope that you forgive me because this is not personal, even though you take it very personally and people get very hurt. But since my goal is that the 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds should come into the room and find people who are in their world, therefore, my goal is to minimize the number of 65-year-olds we have in some kind of junior. And if we ha still have some that's okay. But the percentage of people in the room has to be people that this young new Amana feels she belongs to. And therefore, this is the way we've done it. And this is the way we do it. There are very specific parameters. I don't pick and choose based on whose face I think is prettiest. It's specific, a specific age and a specific age of the children before the mother enters some kind of junior at the time. I can't say at the time of the loss. If, if the loss was five years ago and you're calling me now and you're 60, and I'm sorry, you know, but at the time that you join Samhainu, that person would have to be, you know, below a certain age in order for them to join Samhainu Jr. And then, yes, we, you're right, Miriam, then all those events are taking place with a very close-knit group of women who support each other in their child-rearing and in their completely, they don't have married children, many of them. They don't have that help of married children. It's a completely different experience, and they need that from each other. It's very hard. I, I hear this a lot from organizations when you have to make rules and cutoffs and things. And like you, like it sounds, the person that's being cut out could really feel hurt. And it's just like if you once you start bending the rules to accommodate everyone's hurt feelings, then the whole organization could fall apart because it's just not working the way it should be if you bend the rules for everyone. Like it's, but it's hard. It's very hard. Everybody's no gay in their, you know, in their situation, no matter how clear minded they may be. So when I'm discussing with you, to you, it makes total sense. But then there's a woman who's in her low 50s who just married her youngest child and is very, very upset with us and says, you know, like, I don't understand. You're, you're punishing. Hashem is punishing me twice. Aww. One is that I didn't have more children. And one is that I had to be kicked out of some kind of junior. And I don't know what to say to her. Like, I would think that marrying off your youngest child is so wonderful and so rewarding that you realize that it's worth it for that to leave some kind of junior. But, you know, that's why early, early on in the organization, I, when I was consulting with my rover, Vosha Pluchak, about various things that were going on, and people weren't happy with us about certain things. And he said to me, if your goal is going to be to make people happy, you're not going to have an organization. 
Right. I mean, obviously, my goal is to make people happy. But in other words, if you think that every complaint that comes your way has to be satisfied, you are not going to have an organization. You're going to fall apart very early. You have to be able to have your parameters and say, this is the way we do it. And like I said, Hashem should forgive me. I there are people that, you know, are, are scared to deal with an Almana because they might hurt her. And I feel terrible. I'm sure that in the process of enhancing the lives of so many Almanas, I know that there are those who get hurt. It's certainly not intentional. We go with Hadrachas Banim and Das Torah every step of the way. And yes, I consulted my Rav. I consulted Rav Nassim Muller, who is the Rav who answers our, our Hashkafa questions for twice about the woman who was 64, who was so angry at me that she couldn't come to. And both times he said to me, no, do not take her. So hard, but yeah, I. It's hard. It's so hard when you know you're hurting someone, and you're but you're doing the right thing for your organization. What What would you say? I had someone reach out to me a few months ago. Maybe she's part of some I don't know if she would fit the criteria. She very sad. She was like twenty or twenty one, very young, and she was married about a year when her husband was killed in Mayron. I should say died in Mayron, and she was really like floundering because here she was like a young girl no kids yet a widow and like she couldn't relate to anyone not to her friends that weren't married yet not to her newly married friends not to you know widows even if a widow was 28 if she already has three kids like it's just not the same so miriam it really depends on a person's personality and basically what we've learned over the years is that everybody brings their personality into the sorrow with them so I've had people who take years to join Samchenu and just feel so reluctant. And I've had people that come right away and I'll discourage them and I'll say, listen, we'll let you come to the Shabbos six weeks after your husband passed away, but we don't encourage it because it's not going to make sense to you that people are dancing and doing arts and crafts. You're going to come and you're going to think this is crazy. You're not ready for that. And if the person insists on coming, we let them come. And sometimes they do well and sometimes they don't. So it depends. Well, it also depends on you know, sometimes if the loss was sudden or if the loss was gradual, if the person was sick for a very long time and they knew it was coming, obviously there's a lot of factors. I, to answer your specific question, I have had 21-year-olds join Samchenu. We oh, have a, a woman right now in Samchenu, probably below 25. She was about 22 when she lost her husband. And because her situation was so unusual, I even hesitated to call her. Like I hesitate now. I used to go myself to be Menachem Avel, other young widows and do that automatically anymore because I'm not 37 anymore. Right. So I don't look 37. So I feel like if I'm going to show up at somebody's shiva and say, oh, I also lost my husband, they're going to look at me and think, what does that have to do with me? Right. So, so when th- this 21 year old, I didn't even want to call her. I felt like, you know, I have nothing in common with her. And then called me and said, she wants you to call her. And I called her. And now she comes to every Samchenu event. And the, the older Samchenu junior ladies who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s have adopted her. And she's very dear friends with them. So that was her personality, was that she was seeking for some place of commonality, even though her situation was so different. And she was seeking to connect. And she has a you know wonderful personality. And she wanted to connect with people. Somebody else might not want to. I could totally understand that. I could totally see somebody, you know, being completely unprepared for that. So if somebody who was 21, I mean, I had somebody who was not 21, but who was, we've had people who are, you know, we've had more than one woman who didn't have children and who wasn't married for very long, but who had gotten married older. We've had several women like that. I think they've come once or twice and then felt like it didn't work, you know, so 
it really, really is personality. It really is. It really depends on the person on how much they're going to, you know, be sitting with that awareness of how different they are and how much they're just going to let it go and find the commonality and, and be able to socialize and interact with everybody else. Do you think that there's more of an awareness today? Like if someone is, you know, sitting outside with her kids by the bus stop, is today, is it different? Would, would it would today be different with her neighbors than it was when this happened to you? So I'm going to say, take that as two different questions. I'm going to take the first question as, do you think there's an awareness today? Yes, I would really hope so. I think part of the work we've done is to create an awareness. And I think there is an awareness today, a much greater awareness. One person told me, I can't remember who it was, but it was someone who told me that when her kids sat shiva, other kids came and said, great, you're so lucky now you can join some Chena. So in other words, the kids had come to the Hanukkah party. We have a Hanukkah party that's a wonderland. We give every family a bag of gifts for each Listen, kid. the way you talk about it, and you make it have, sound tempting. <laughs> and we have cotton candy and popcorn and snow cones free. And we have pekalach. And we this year, last year, we had a drummer with everybody got a drum. And this year, we had a ventriloquist. We take family pictures. Like, it's the mothers come and say, my kid didn't let me go to the family Hanukkah party. They had to come to this one. So, you know, and, and it's funny when you say it's tempting because, yes, the woman who remarry missed some Chenu. Chenu is not holding anybody back from remarrying. You've got to be kidding. People have made that comment. You've got to be nuts to think that for 24-hour companionship, you're going to give that up for Samhainu. No, nobody in Samhainu is crazy as far as I know. But yes, the remarried woman miss it. Come on. Wouldn't you say that every woman at every stage of life could use a support group? Right now, I could use a support group for parents of children and Shadokhev. How about a support group? You rolled your eyes. How about a support group for women who work at home and don't get out enough? We could use a support group for every type. It's great to have support. It's great to have people who understand which planet we live on. Of course, it's great. But I don't remember going back to what was your original question. Yes. So has the world changed? Has the awareness become greater? Yes. My neighbors were wonderful people. They cooked food for my family for almost a year. I went to Houston for nine and a half months with my husband, Olav Shalom, for a stem cell transplant. Five of my six children stayed at home with with my sister who moved in with her three children. And I lived in like a semi-attached house on Avenue M. So it was not a very large house. And my sister moved in so that my family could stay together. My youngest, who was a nursing baby, went to my sister in Lakewood who nursed her. She was seven months old when I left. And that's the one who's in Shadokha now. But in any case, I was gone. Your nursed your baby? Yes, she had a baby the same age. She had a baby two months older. And and that child is still very, very connected to that whole family because she grew up in their house for 10 months, oh 11 months. Gosh. And and while I was away, the neighbors cooked supper for my sister and the eight kids that were home with her, five of mine and three or four of hers, I don't remember exactly, for for a year, for almost a year. They were wonderful, wonderful people. But did it change that people don't know how to react to an amana? That's a different question. So did the awareness change? Yes. But did the ability to know how to react to an amana change? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think that any of them did anything different than they would do today because I don't think that people really know what to say. I'm standing there on the corner. They want to act to me like I'm normal and they think I want them to act to me like I'm normal, but I'm not normal. There's nothing about my existence that's normal. So somehow I went to the bungalow colony and they hadn't known me before. And that made a big difference. And whenever they went to the grocery, they said, I'm going to the grocery. Can I get something for you? Now, everybody's different. Brian and I figured this out very early on because I was at a chasana 
and we discussed being at a chasana. And she said, if she's at a chasana and somebody says, I remember you, I, we missed your husband. She's like, leave me alone. I'm at a chasana. I'm enjoying myself. And by me, if I'm at a family chasana and nobody says we miss our yaleib, where is he? I'm like, they forgot about him already. So if two amanas can't agree on what's the right thing to say to an amana, how is anybody supposed to be answering that question? So I can't say that anybody really knows the right thing to say, but I could tell you for myself that I wasn't the same as everybody else. And I looked like I was managing and I looked like I was handling everything. But in the country, people knew to say, I'm going to the grocery, can I get you anything? And if I ran out of propane, then somebody replaced my propane. And if my neighbor in the country saw me grill, I will never forget this. I was her teacher. She was four years younger than me and I was her high school teacher. And she came and saw me grilling chicken and she said, I'm going to grow your chicken on my grill. I'm growing chicken too. So like, it was just this like a deeper understanding, maybe because in the Bungo County, everybody sees everybody living. So it was just like much more vivid to them to see me with six children as my responsibility and no helper. But everybody just very silently and casually just stepped in to try to carry that burden with me. And I think that in my, in my neighborhood, I just looked very, very capable and Baruch Hashem, I am capable, and Hashem gave me kaikos, but there is no human being, and this is the message that the entire world needs to know, there is no human being who is capable enough that they are fine without a spouse. There's no person who is so great and so strong that a loss doesn't hit them like a ton of bricks and bring them to their knees. So no matter how capable that woman works, it doesn't mean, listen, there were very wonderful people in my neighborhood who invited me for a suda, and it didn't work out, because... I didn't all of a sudden become a seminary girl with six girls tagging along. So if I didn't have a relationship with them beforehand, it didn't really work for me. I tried it. I tried it once here and once there, and they meant their best, but they never invited me back because they probably hopped that it really like didn't work. But there are other ways in which to reach out and to be a different person. I would say don't err on the side of caution. I would say if you see somebody, you know, saying, if you ever need me, call me, doesn't really work. But saying, you know... I'm, go- I'm, I'm passing by your house on the way to shop smart. What can I pick up for you? You know, would be really nice. Like, you know, there's, there's so many, so many different ways that I could come up with my husband. I love a showman. I actually did it. Someone in my child's class lost a parent very suddenly, lost a father very suddenly. And I remember we called the mother on Tisha and said, can we pick up your kids? We were watching our kids in the afternoon, like pick up her kids in the afternoon. Just try to think of all the ways that you and your spouse are there for each other and that you pick up slack for each other. And, you know, call the woman and say, I, I, I have some extra time. Do you want me to do your carpool? Like there's just, I'm just making things up as I go, but there's a right. thousand, I'm, I'm in the deli. Can I bring you something for Shabbos? Like there's just a thousand ways until two, in which two members running a household do things for each other. Just think about it. You can pick up slack for somebody else in so many, so many different ways without being patronized. Right. Right. Okay. So do we have time for one or two more questions? Yeah. Not I really? work for myself, so I have a very easygoing voice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Your friend that you mentioned in the beginning, Mrs. Hershkowitz. Yeah. Right? The one now Greenfeld, right? The one that we married. Yes. So I was talking to her. I spoke to her a bunch of times. She's so sweet. I love talking to her. Not sweet, like fun, funny. I don't know, bubbly. <laughs> but she mentioned to me, I think it was her that mentioned to me that people also forget that the children are always orphans. And she was saying it came up for her, like, you know, when she her son was getting married or whatever it was, and she said something about, but he's an orphan. And it was so many years after her husband died, they were like, okay, still with the orphan. And like, it really like it, it bothered her so much. 
So I'm just wondering if like how if that plays out a lot, like how that affects a, a, a widow when their children aren't giving aren't given the proper recognition just because it was so long ago. It's a very good question. You know, we're going to be up to the 19th yard site, Pesach, and I have been remarried for Baruch Hashem a number of years. Again, there's no statute of limitations on a loss. And this is part of my message to the whole Jewish world is to recognize not just for the children and for the mothers, the loss is permanent. It doesn't get fixed. There's nothing that fixes it. It's the greatest tragedy shouldn't say the greatest, but it's a great tragedy. It's a monumental crushing tragedy. And that's a known thing in the secular world as well as our world. And no matter how many years went by, the person didn't lose a camera. The person lost a spouse and a person is irreplaceable. So that woman, if 18 or 19 years went by, the, the tragedy did not diminish until Mashiach comes. She learned how to function. I'm not talking about if she's remarried. I'm talking about whether she's alone or remarried. The, the tragedy did not diminish. I was sitting at the Haas concert. I told the story on the OHL Zoom, but it's worth telling again. I'm sitting at the Haas concert between my new husband and my married daughter. And the, they, the choir started singing Daddy Come Home. And Daddy Come Home is a song about a soldier who went to war and his children are singing Daddy Come Home. My husband and I were in Houston for nine and a half months and my children were waiting for us and we never he never made it home. And I, I like music very much, but English words, I don't. I don't pick up unless I'm focusing and you couldn't really help but focus at this concert. And I really don't show emotion in public. And the tears started rolling down my face. And my husband hands me a tissue. And my daughter on the other side of me said, Mommy, I thought you're happy. Now, this is not a young girl, but she says what she thinks. And she said that. And I said to her, Hashem put the words in my mouth, but they were the truth. I said to her, remarriage resolved the tragedy of being alone. It did not resolve the tragedy of losing my young husband. There is nothing until the coming of Mashiach that will lose the, that will resolve the tragedy for these twenty seven hundred plus women of losing their husbands. It's not wow. something you get over. It's something that you move forward with. And if the woman seems happy and capable, and she's at a job and she has friends and she has Shabbos plans, that's wonderful. And there is always a hole in her heart, whether she wears it on her vest or she doesn't. For the children, the same applies. My my daughters are, you know, each successful in their areas and, and known in their worlds. And, and I don't say this lightly. One of them also many years later was rejected from a certain position because she had not applied for it earlier. I don't I don't want to say more because I don't want to reflect on somebody specific, <clears throat> but they were upset with her because the year before she didn't apply. So they said no. And she said to me, Mommy, they're treating me like I'm a regular kid. I'm not a regular kid. Wow. And I'm talking about somebody who has poise and confidence and sophistication. And you will not see in any sense, you could walk into my house from right after the Shiva all the way up to from right after the Shloshim all the way up till today. And you could hear music playing and friends over and Shabbos cooking and, and, and pots bubbling and messes all over the place. And you hear you hear the sounds of a happy house. You're not going to know that anything's different. And that message is a permanent message. They treat me like I'm a regular kid. I'm not a regular kid. A child who lost a parent never loses that status. My child who's making a bar mitzvah does not have her father to guide her or to shep the nachas of her bar mitzvah. And she feels it. And she lost her father 19 years ago. And she's in her 30s. But this is a permanent loss. And it affects them at every stage of life. It never goes away. It doesn't. The parent remarries. The child doesn't remarry. 
Right. 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 Wow. Okay. I, I, I think that you like brought like such an awareness, you like so many important points that you brought out before we finish. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to say. I would say one more thing. There's a big mitzvah in the Torah to be good to a yasam and almana. That doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't always have to be easy. I've gotten calls. I was on a conference call a while back with a group of women who were dealing with a widow in their community, which, who was definitely not easy. She was a very difficult person. Let's say it clearly. And I called Rabbi Eisen about it. And he, I wrote down what he said, and I read it back to those women. He said, after 120 years in Shemayim, they are not going to say to you, why did you enable that almana to be difficult? Why did you keep giving to her even though she was difficult? Anything that you can do to help an almana is going to be a positive thing. So have compassion, even if she's, like I said, everyone brings their personality into their situation. There are people who are easier to have as guests, and there are people who are more pleasant, and there are people who are easier to help, and there are people who are more receptive, and there are people whose children are more well-behaved. But at, at whatever level it is, you should have that compassion forever, because compassion does not depend on how much you like them or how much you think they deserve to feel the way that they deserve, that the way that they feel. A person who lost a spouse or children who lost a parent are clearly listed by the Torah as somebody who is deserving of your compassion and giving. And there is no deadline on that. It doesn't go away. It has not gone away. And we all hope that we will live to greet Mashiach together and that that will be the final success and reunite, re reunion that we've all been waiting for. And until then, really, the work of Kal Yisrael is cut out for them. Hashem has made it very clear. That is your job, is to look and see. Don't wait for it to come to your doorstep. Look and see, what can I do? Why should your neighbor who's an Almana come out to see in the morning your walk and driveway shoveled up until hurts. Totally. <laughs> Hashem gave you Seichel for a reason. Use it and look out for these women. They deserve it, and you'll only be better for it. You have just listened to an episode by Mrs. Miriam Ribiet. For more episodes or for additional information about future episodes, visit our website at www.chevralomdemishnah.org or email mribiet at chevralomdemishnah.org. To submit questions or comments for this speaker, to suggest another speaker who might be mechazek others, or to sponsor a podcast, visit chevralomdemishnah.org forward slash podcast.